0: Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Centre Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Welcome to Night of Worship, our monthly Night of Worship. To those of you here at Central Campus and also those of you who are joining us online, I trust that you had a good summer and had opportunity, like I did, to get some rest and relaxation and uh, time with your loved ones and friends. Um, Someone has said, you know, uh, that you need a break when you start to look like your passport (laughs) picture. Well, after our time away, I still look like my passport picture. I'm not sure anything will ever fix that issue. But I do feel refreshed. And for that, I'm immensely grateful. Over the summer, I was able to visit uh, um, our various campuses and to hear story after story of of, um, how God has been changing lives uh, through the people and ministry of our church. You heard some of those stories earlier in the service as well. For example, over the summer, we know of at least 25 children who made first-time decisions for Christ. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) We also had over 40 people Um, baptized, who who committed their lives uh, in baptism. God is so good, and we just praise Him for the supernatural, life-changing work that He's doing in us, through us, and among us. Now, as we enter into another ministry season, I want to challenge you just for a moment to prayerfully consider where God wants you to invest your life this coming year Where he wants you to invest the time and the abilities, uh, the resources that he has given to you. Because the truth is, he didn't save us to sit. Amen? He did not save us to hoard our stuff, but to be generous with the time and the resources that he's given to us. And the reality is... The impact that we have in the lives of those who are far from God and who are in need is going to be directly proportional to the number of people in our fellowship who step up and give their time and their abilities and their resources toward the mission God's called us to. Your faithful involvement really matters. So please contact The pastors or ministry leaders of your campus and inquire how you can enjoy, you can join the rest of us and help us to advance our mission as a church, which is to introduce people to Jesus and help them to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Okay, so over the next few months um, uh, in our night of worship gatherings, we've been harvesting wisdom uh, for daily living from the book of Proverbs, and in this message, Uh, And next month's message, I'm going to focus on another theme we see sprinkled throughout the book of Proverbs and also throughout the rest of Scripture, and that is choosing a life partner. Now, some of you may be thinking that message uh, isn't for you, but if you're an uncle or an aunt, if you're a youth leader, uh, if you're a parent, a grandparent, or a one of the great responsibilities that we have and that God has given to us is to help those in our sphere of influence as we mentor and encourage them um, to to help them uh, in the major decisions that they make in life including of course the selection of their life partner and so this really applies to all or at least to most of us the reality is choosing a life partner is a huge decision And yet, so many people make this life-impacting decision more on the basis of emotion and hormones rather than rational thought. Some couples get so lovesick, they go brain dead. Every time they look into each other's eyes, common sense goes out the door. Many will spend more time planning their wedding than exploring how compatible they are as a couple. Some are so smitten with passion for each other, they look like a couple of man-eating plants in (laughs) continual embrace. And one wonders if they will ever get past the physical to have a long, careful look at each other's personality and character and values. Well, God does not leave us fending for ourselves in this matter of selecting a life partner. The Bible provides wisdom and direction for us, and so in this message, I want to review just two principles we see in the scriptures on selecting a life partner, and then as I said, next month, uh, we'll give some of the remaining ones. The first principle is this, be content as a single before you seek your mate. Now, I remind you that Proverbs was written primarily to young men who were not yet married. Proverbs 1.8 says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. The writers of Proverbs urge young men, and by inference, young women, to give significant thought to the kind of person that they're going to marry. And they attempt to wake them up to the seriousness of this decision by giving graphic word pictures uh, of what life could be like if they do not marry well. Proverbs 25, verse 24 says, better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a home with the quarreling spouse. That's pretty graphic. Proverbs 27, verse 15 says, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. That pretty much tells the whole story, doesn't it? all of these proverbs are painting a mental picture which says you are better off to be alone or pretty much anywhere else on the planet than in a marriage relationship with the wrong person and the implication is this one of the keys to selecting a a life partner one of the keys to ensuring that you are really objective and thinking rationally is to first be content as a single. Dr. Neil Warren says that people who aren't content with their singleness will be prone to get married too quickly, thinking that marriage will make them happy, that it will resolve all all of their personal needs and their personal insecurities and problems or help them to escape their family problems. Or, he says, they will tend to get married too young, bringing all kinds of unrealistic expectations to the marriage that is lethal to that marriage. Or they will tend to be too eager to get married, often turning a blind eye to the serious issues in their relationship or the deep concerns about the character and the habit patterns of their partner. You see, people who are content as singles are in a much better position to choose well because they aren't in a rush. You know, th- 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 there isn't this great panic to get married. The contented single person doesn't panic and, and say to herself, well, you know, he is a bit of a bore, or, you know, he does seem to have a bit of a problem with rage and alcohol, or he does seem to struggle with taking initiative and keeping a job, but my biological clock is ticking, and if I don't land someone soon, I'll be too old, and so I'm just go- he's just going to have to do. <laughs> the contended single guy isn't saying to himself, well, she isn't all that excited about God and the things of God, or she does seem to have a rather irritating personality or she is a bit of a control freak and a nag, but she's the first gal who's shown some interest in me, and I doubt if I'll ever find anyone better. Hello, says the writer of Proverbs. Better to live in the middle of a desert than to be with a quarreling, angry spouse. Proverbs. (laughs) Ah, yeah. Uh, Your wife's not with you, is she? Yeah, yeah, I can guess that, boy. Anyways, he didn't say anything. Maybe she already let him have it, you know, just. (laughs) Anyways. That's why it's important that you're content as single before you start looking for the love of your life. In Philippians 4.1, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul's referring here to more than just being content with little or with much. It applies to all areas of life, including your marital status. Paul essentially says here, the level of your spirituality and contentment in life is basically unrelated to your marital status. Now that may surprise some of you, because many today are looking to someone or something to provide happiness for them. I regularly talk with people who lack inner contentment, and are convinced that what they need is a a change of circumstances. For some, it's a change in employment. For others, it's more money. And still for others, it's a change in marital status. And yet, contentment will always elude those who have this mindset. Contentment isn't something that you seek and you find by seeking after the good life. Contentment is actually something that finds you something that comes to you when you seek God and the best things of God and you trust Him completely with your life. The Apostle Paul revealed the secret of his contentment over in Philippians 1.21 when he said, for to me to live is Christ. I'm sold out to Him. It's all about Him. Paul had found the anchor upon which to build his life upon, and that anchor is Jesus Christ. By placing his faith in Christ, Paul found contentment in all circumstances, including living a single lifestyle. A number of years ago, we, had, we were just really blessed here at Center Street to have Nick Voyacek speak here, um, a man with no arms or legs. Remember any, do you, any of you remember when he was here? Phenomenal. Anyways, not not exactly great circumstances, his situation. And yet because Nick loves God, totally trusts God, and is content in his circumstances, his I-can-do-anything-through-Christ-who-gives-me-strength attitude has given him a platform to speak to millions of people around the world about Christ and the hope he has in Christ Now, when he was here, he said, I'm not exactly an ideal candidate for marriage. He said, if I ever do get married and have kids, apart from a miracle of God, I'll never be able to hold my children. I'll never be able to help them up when they fall. You see, from our culture's perspective, Nick was not exactly set up to live the good life, as most of us would define it and dream of having it one day. Based on the values of our culture, Nick had little reason to go on and lots of reason to be bitter and angry at God and others. And yet he is content and has the joy of the Lord in his life because he has placed his hope and his trust completely in Jesus. When he was here, he said, Even though by God's grace I'm determined to live this life to the full and enjoy every moment of it, My primary mission, he said, is not to live the good life. It's not to marry. It's not any of those things. It is to love Jesus with all of my heart and to love others to Jesus in preparation for the next life, which will supersede by far the best this world has to offer. And when he was here, God used him to do just that as over 200 people made first-time decisions for Jesus Christ. see Nick was content as a single and it was this which prepared him for the day he fell in love with a young lady and they eventually got married and I'm told they now have two sons and are expecting twin girls real soon way to go Nick But here's the thing until we have the same conviction Nick had when he was single all those years, contentment and joy will elude us. It will not be found in our work or our money or our friendships, our family, or in marriage. It will only be found in Christ. There are people who are single in this place who are very content. There are other single people in this room who are very unhappy. There are married people in this room who are deliriously happy, like my wife. (laughs) And then there are others who are not. The Apostle Paul is saying, if you are miserable as a single person, chances are very high that you will be miserable as a married person. If you are counting on your marital partner to make you happy, expect to be unhappy most of the time because they don't have a chance, a hope of making you happy if you aren't content within and at peace with God. And remember this, no one person can meet all of your needs. Only the Lord can do that. What does Philippians 4.19 say? And my husband. No. And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. As I said in the other services this weekend, in a different message, you will always be restless inside. Until you find your rest in God, until you trust in the Lord with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and lean not on your own understanding, and lean not on the thinking of our culture, but believe God about what really matters in life. Now let me be clear, it's normal and natural for most people to want to marry. But Paul is saying here it is important that you know yourself first and are content with who you are as a person and as a single person before you seek to bring someone else into your world. That's principle number one. Be content as a single before you seek your marriage partner. Principle number two is this. Seek someone who is spiritually compatible with you. Proverbs challenges us to fear the Lord and to seek a mate who fears the Lord. Proverbs 28, 14 says, Blessed is the man who always fears the Lord, but he who hardens his heart falls into trouble. And then over in Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says, Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman... Who fears the Lord is to be praised. The message is clear. If you want to experience life to the full, if you want to make wise decisions, if you want to avoid bringing harm on yourself and on your relationship and into your marriage, then fear the Lord. Now, the implication is this if you are really fired up about Jesus, and you intend to live your life all out for him the rest of your life, then you better marry someone who feels the same way you do about Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 6.14 puts it this way, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? Now right up front, I want to say a few words to anyone here who's not a follower of Jesus. When Paul refers to being unequally yoked, he's not saying that the unbelieving girlfriend or boyfriend or unbelieving spouse is second rate or inferior or an outcast from God's perspective. God has the heart of a loving father, which means he has our best interests at heart in all things. He loves you as much as he loves anyone else. in this passage he is simply saying come let us reason together god says don't get entangled in a serious relationship with someone who's on a different page than you are spiritually who has different spiritual goals than you do because if you do you won't be able to share the greatest part of who you are in the area which is most important to you. Let me try to explain it with this example. Suppose that you marry the love of your life, but your spouse, for reasons only known to God, does not like your very best friend. What if he said, I love you, dear, but I simply do not like your best friend. I just have no time for her. I'm okay with you, you know, still seeing her a little bit here and there. And if you want to visit her once in a while, you go right ahead. No problem, but please don't come home and talk to her. Talk to me about her. And please don't bring her into our house. I'm sure you know what would begin to happen, right? Over time, either your marriage would begin to die or your friendship with your best friend would begin to die, or at least cool down considerably. And so here's my point. The same thing will happen when Jesus is your best friend, but not your spouse's. You'll be torn between two lovers, and that just won't work. You know, I can handle the fact that there are some things that my wife Gwen enjoys in life that that I can do without. For example, she loves attending the ballet. She loves to shop. I'd rather have a root canal (laughs) than do either of those. But that's okay. We can enjoy different activities and still have a strong marriage. But I'll tell you, it would be torture for me not to be able to share the greatest treasure in my life with her. And that, of course, is my relationship with Jesus. If I couldn't talk to Gwen about what God means to me, about what God is, is, is showing me in the scriptures, what he's speaking to me about. If I couldn't join with Gwen in praying about the concerns or fears that she may have or I may have or the difficult circumstances we're going through as a couple, I'd feel incredibly sad and empty. You know, over the years, I've had numerous men and women share with me with tears flowing down their, their face how hard and how extremely lonely it, is, lonely it is for them to be in a marriage where they essentially have to keep their relationship with God private or outside of their marriage. How difficult it is to go through crisis, a, a health crisis, a crisis with a child, and not be able to join together with one spouse and take it to God in prayer how confusing it is for their children to have one person worship God and and, and go to church and all that stuff, and another parent use Jesus' name as a swear word or express no belief or no interest in Jesus. How difficult it is to try to raise children and to agree on what's important in life, what you're going to teach them about what matters in life and the values that are important when you're spiritually incompatible. Those are just some of the frustrations and challenges that couples face when they're not on the same page spiritually. And I share them with you to help you to realize that when God says, don't be unequally yoked, he's not trying to spoil your life, ruin your fun, or make life difficult for you. No, he's actually wanting to give, uh, to spare you from having to endure this kind of grief and pain. It just makes good sense to be on the same page as your partner, spiritually speaking. At our next night of worship, as I said in October, I'll quickly review these two principles. I'm going to add some others as we wrap up this little series on choosing your life partner. And I want to challenge you to invite your friends the next night of worship as we continue on this subject. I want to kind of wrap up by introducing you to someone who I admire as a Christ follower because she has strong convictions to live, to love, and to serve God's way. She has served with various ministries around the world and for the past five years has been serving on staff here at Center Street. Because she exudes such genuine joy and contentment as a single person, I've asked her to share a bit of her story and particularly why she's content being single and how she has learned to be content while being single. Would you please welcome Shannon as she comes to share with us?
1: Hi, everyone. It's great to be here with you tonight. First thing I would like to share with you right off the bat is one of my anchoring scriptures that definitely helps me be content as a single person, and that comes from Psalm 32.8, which says, The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Although I grew up believing in God, I didn't personally surrender my life to God until I was 21 years old while I was working and traveling my way around Australia, which is an interesting place, but that's where God began to reveal my life to me from his perspective, and it broke me in a good way, though. I knew whatever God was doing in my life was a good thing, and so I just embraced becoming a new creation in Christ. When I started just saturating myself in his word and praying continually, I knew one of the first things that he was prompting me to do was to end a long-term relationship with a guy back home. And that wasn't necessarily an easy decision, but I knew that it wasn't God's best plan for me. So I made an overseas phone call and even decided to share with him the person I now thought he should marry. And that didn't go over very well in the moment, but I am grateful to report that they have now been happily married for over 20 years. (laughs) When I got back from Australia, my grandparents recommended that I go to Bible college to have some of my many questions answered about God. So I got to spend the next three years being discipled by godly mentors, being blessed with Christian friendships, and learning a lot more about God and his word. There were many other students there that were definitely looking for a spouse, which is why it was nicknamed Bridal College, but I was definitely focused on growing in my faith. Over the years, many well-meaning people have expressed concern and confusion over my still being single. Comments such as, I just don't understand why you're not married, you seem nice. (laughs) As if all nice people should be married, and as if all married people are nice. (laughs) Other comments have included, you just got to stop flitting around the world and get grounded back here at home. How else are you going to find a husband? Or, you know, at your age, pickings are getting slim. (laughs) (laughs) A number of years ago, my mom was at a church in Texas, and she heard a sermon where the pastor was actually challenging parents who had dedicated their children to God, that if they truly trusted in his unique and wonderful plan for their life, then they shouldn't be pressuring them about if or when they would get married. It meant a lot to me to get a phone call shortly afterwards with an apology and a renewed sense of trust in God's plan for my life, even if that may not include marriage, at least for now. Personally, I really do believe that God has a best plan for my life, and if that is ever going to include marriage, God knows where I am. A friend of mine, whose name is Carrie, trusted God with his best plan for her life when she agreed to go to Sudan as a missionary, North Sudan. Part of that decision was surrendering her desire to be married. That time in North Sudan was very difficult, and a lot of her emails included some of those struggles and a countdown towards the end of her term. However, when I was working and living in Uganda, I received a different email from her saying that she was now reconsidering extending her time in North Sudan, to which I promptly replied, who did you meet? (laughs) Sure enough, God had orchestrated for her to meet a wonderful, spiritually compatible man, Johan, South African missionary in North Sudan. He is now her husband of about 15 years. I've also come to believe that there are both challenges and blessings of being single as well as challenges and blessings of being married. I have way too many close friends and mentors who share with me openly and authentically about the realities of either one of those situations to truly believe that the grass is not greener on the other side. One of those mentors often reminds me, rather be single than wish you were. In Philippians 4.11, Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. As Pastor Henry said in his message earlier, I also have friends who are content, praise God. Some of those friends are married, some are single. But I also have friends who are not content. Some of those are married and some are single. Which causes me to conclude that being content definitely does not depend on whether we are married or single but rather it's a choice to truly trust in God and his best plans for our lives since i began trusting and following god myself he has guided me along an amazing journey that i never would have imagined or even thought up of in my dreams And it has been a life full of love and purpose, opportunities to serve God and others, as well as growing my spiritual family with incredible people from all around the world. It has definitely not been a journey without trial, but I can honestly say it's been a great adventure and I would not trade it for anything. God's best plan may still include marriage for my life, But either way, I am so grateful to God that he gives us many reasons to be joy-filled and have great purpose. And because of that, I am content.
0: Thank you, Shannon, for blessing us with your story and what God has taught you and is teaching you. You know, God wants to meet the desires of our heart, even for a mate, but he won't bless what we haven't committed to him. Whatever we refuse to surrender to him will be at the center of our greatest anxiety, worries, difficulties, and hardships. Whatever you are struggling with today, my prayer is is that you will let go and let God lead your path and your life from this day forward. And when it comes to finding a life partner, that you will commit to seeking God and God alone and let God seek your mate. Would you please stand? We're going to have a bit of a time of prayer right now. And whether you're here tonight as a single person, whether you're dating or you're a married person, I'm wondering, are you truly content? Or are you believing the lie, if only, then I'd be content? Are you compromising what you know is God's best for you? because you just, you're just not convinced that God has your best interests at heart, that he can be trusted, or because you're convinced that you just have to do it your own way because you'll never be happy or you'll never marry if you do it God's way. Just want us to open up our hands to God right now. Want us to ask him, Lord, what are you saying to me? In light of all that you've heard, Lord, what are you saying to me? Lord, what do you want me to do about it? As I said, we're going to have a time of prayer. Prayer partners are making their way up here. If you want to talk to someone about where you're at, things that you're struggling with, maybe unrelated to what we've been talking about tonight, want someone to pray with you. If you want to talk to Shannon, you want to talk to me, we're going to be right up front here along with all these others who are coming up here to pray with people. You just make your way down here as we now just go into a season of prayer. The person next to you is someone you feel comfortable turning to and praying with. You do that. Let's just go to God in prayer. Let's have a season of prayer together, shall we?